We're going to look uh, this morning at uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, the text is printed in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. So uh, Luke 5, 1 to 11, famous passage. If you've ever spent any time in church at all, you know all about this story. Uh, Jesus tells Peter he's going to make him a fisher of men, lots of fish. Uh, and so you need to, you know, get up and be a fisher of men yourself. So I don't really need to do anything else, right? That's, you already know it. So what's, what, what, yeah. So that's the problem with this text is because uh, Jesus doesn't say, now you go be a fisher of men. Does he? So you should be fishing for men but not because of the reasons you think. So uh, we're going to look today at this, at this text, great text, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, it's printed in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So a a couple of things that we need to think about as we look at this text today and kind of unpack it. And and probably what happens to most of us is is that we, we get caught up in the miraculous catch of fish and we miss what's going on. We don't see the bigger context. We don't see where this is happening or why this is happening, much less uh, in, in anything like that. So, so we, we, we need to back up a little bit and, and think a little bit uh, more about this because the way we tend to think about the world, the way you and I tend to think about the world is uh, we usually divide the world up into a couple of spheres. There's, there's the religious sphere, which you're in right now, and you look at things a certain way while you're here on Sunday uh, mornings, and then, you know, there's the rest of your life, which is Monday through Saturday, where you, you go about your world and you look at things differently, right? But now that I've said that, you feel guilty because you realize, oh, I should think about that there's a God on Tuesday <laughs> instead of just on Sunday. Oh, now I have guilt. Great. So... Uh, what, what do I do about that? Oh, I need to think more about Jesus while I'm at work, right? Um, so the, so the, that's a funny way to, to think about it. But, but the fact is, 
You know, that's, uh, I'm sure you spent much of your time this week thinking about money, at least in the sense of provision, that sort of thing, thinking about what you're going to wear, thinking about what you're going to eat, thinking about uh, what you're going to do, thinking about chores that needed to be done. And you know what? You should think about those things and you should keep thinking about those things. You're a human being. That's a part of who you are. It's a part of your life. But the issue is not so much what we think about, but how we think about it, right? I came across this uh, 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 quote today from William Temple that I think is, is pretty profound. So the spiritually minded person, and that's all of y'all, all of us, right? No one's laughing. So uh, the spiritually minded person does not differ from the materially minded person chiefly in thinking about different things, but in thinking about the same things differently. It is possible to think materially about God and spiritually about food, right? Now, I don't, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess about what you've been thinking about this week if you're from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Right? I know you've been thinking about it because I've seen some of your uh, social media posts, what you think. And I know uh, what you think about what other people think. Some of you have been fighting about it. Some of you have been uh, discouraged about it. Some of you have actually been encouraged by it because it's uh, the opposition party who's in turmoil. Some of you have just been discouraged and um, just baffled, unsure, uncertain. Um, and you wonder, you know, how to, how to think about this. Um, well, this is what you've been thinking about. How do you think about it? Well, God tells us how to think about it in the Old Testament text that we read this morning. Did you know that that exactly applies to the political situation of our commonwealth? In the year King Uzziah died. Now, in a year when a king dies, there's political uncertainty. Right? What's going to happen next? How how are things going to happen? And 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 what are, are we what are we going to do about this? And and what what's going to happen? And you know, as you read on through the rest of of uh, Isaiah chapter six, you you find about the the very difficult and trying circumstances that the people of God find themselves in politically. But in it, trying, uncertain political circumstances, what do you need to see? That there's a God. He is high and lifted up. He is on his throne. The king is dead. Long live the king. That is how, is how we must engage and think about things like this during periods of uncertainty, right? Of of a, a lack of clarity and, frankly, uh, a lack of trust. And so 
you know what, let's do, let's, let's do something really crazy. Really crazy. Let's pray. Lord, um, you see into the hearts of men. You see into our hearts and our lives. And uh, I'm certain that there are my brothers and sisters here who uh, think and believe, uh, well, that you have little to do with this or that you are unaware, uh, that you are not the sovereign God, you are not the king, um, that this commonwealth belongs more to you than it does to any of us, and that you will have your way. Lord, as we uh, uh, scratch our heads and think about what is righteous and what is right and what is good, uh, help us to do that uh, by seeing uh, Almighty God, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, high and lifted up, holy, just, merciful, and good. Help that to inform the way we think about uh, the present political situation in our commonwealth, and I pray that you would give us much grace. We pray this, and, and Lord, we don't forget to pray um, for our leaders. Um, have your way. Uh, do uh, what... Uh, uh, you deem right uh, because you are the only ultimate, holy, righteous uh, king that we have. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things that is so profound about this as we, as we think about this is, you know, we, we get wrapped up so much in the life that we're living, just as Peter is wrapped up in the life that he's living of having a failed night of work and uh, he's probably tired and he's probably upset. And in the midst of all of that, all this crazy disruption comes his way, right? And so one of the things that you have to see about this story and one of the things that we miss just as the setting of Isaiah's vision in the temple uh, is important and helps us understand uh, that God had a mission in the midst of turmoil and that he had would, would use broken, sinful human beings uh, in, uh, uh, in this world to accomplish his mission. Well, the same thing is happening there on the lake shore uh, at Lake Gennesaret, right? So the first thing you have to see about this story is the setting. It's a smelly boat landing. Now, some of you have never been to a boat landing. Growing up in the rural south, I've been to a lot of boat landings. You know what you, know what you see at boat landings? You see a lot of cigarette butts. You see always usually a really nasty portageon, maybe one or two, really nasty, ugly, gross, trash cans overflowing with cheap beer cans. You know, no beer snobs hang out and drink and smoke cigarettes at boat landings. Uh, uh, cheap beer drinkers do that. Uh, and uh, really interesting people coming and going. A few weeks ago, I was at uh, the public boat landing in West Point, Virginia. Uh, West Point is a, come, is, actually comes to a point in between two rivers. Uh, and I was there uh, and uh, thinking, I don't want to be here any longer than I absolutely have to. And uh, the fishermen were coming and going uh, there at the boat landing. And these guys, you could tell they have hard lives. They're, some of them, well, all of them, as far as I could tell, were missing teeth. Uh, some of them were missing parts of their ears, missing eyes, missing fingers. 
And, you know, that was just what was exposed. Who knew what they were missing that might have been covered up, right? I mean, these are very hard, rough-looking guys who make their living uh, out in the weather. It was uh, 20 degrees. Yeah. Uh, Not many of you guys work out in 20-degree weather, right? That's why you have all your fingers and you don't get frostbite at work, right? So uh, it was interesting watching them come and go. And I thought, you know, I don't really want to be here for very long. Well, just just imagine that you've been out, you know, checking your crab pots or, you know, tonging for oysters or whatever it is that you do for a living. And you did it all morning. You did it all night and you didn't catch a blooming thing. What are you thinking? Well, you're thinking my business is failing, Because remember, that's what Peter is. He's a businessman. He's at work. Okay? And uh, he's thinking, uh, if this keeps up, what am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? I might have to lay off some of my workers. What are we going to do? Right? So he's tired. He's been working all night. And he's discouraged there cleaning his nets. And so it's kind of ironic, right, that he's cleaning the nets, the means of his production, the way that he does his work, and, and he's cleaning them, getting them ready for the next day, but he hasn't caught a blooming thing, right? So your worst day at work, your most ineffective day at work, a, a, a day of work of just nothing but failure, right? And you're, uh, you're tired. So there you are at the boat landing in, in West Point with all the other stinking fishermen and the smelliness and that kind of stuff. And you look up and coming from town is this crowd of people coming towards you. And in the front of the cr- that crowd of people is this guy who is teaching the people as they're walking and they're, they're thronging there and he's coming very purposefully towards you. Right? Now, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that's the nature of Jesus Christ. That's the nature of the incarnation. He comes into our world where we are, where we live. Now, you and I tend to think when we're cleaning our nets after a day of failure, after a day of frustration, after a day of being tired, that Jesus has nothing to do with that. And yet that's precisely the time and place where Jesus steps into your world. And he doesn't come into your world and say, hey, I'm going to make everything better. He turns it upside down. He disrupts your world, right? Which only makes sense because if he's Jesus, you know, what we, what, what, what we tend to think is, I'm sure if you'd ask Peter, hey, here comes Jesus. What do you want him to do? I want him to pay my bills. I want him to catch me some fish. I want him to, to make this frustrating work that I do. Fruitful. And that applies to every one of us, whether your work today is wiping uh, dirty rear ends or snotty noses or whether your work today is uh, doing uh, spreadsheets or whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is that you do, whether it's going to school, whatever, every single one of us lives and works in a place where things don't work the way they're supposed to. And if there's a God, then what I would like for him to do is just make it a little easier. Make it a little more productive, right? So here comes Jesus. So Jesus goes up to Peter, who's there cleaning his his nets. He's at work. And he says to him, hey, you and I both know that sound travels better across water. So can I take your boat 
and push out here from the shore a little bit so I can finish teaching. Now, one of the things you have to see about this, Jesus and Peter have already interacted by this time in Luke's gospel. In the previous chapter, uh, Jesus is going through town. Peter comes and gets him because Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Remember, she had a fever and Jesus rebukes the fever and he heals her. Well, here's Peter, tired, had enough, doesn't want to be out there in the boat landing any longer than he needs to be. But because Jesus has healed his mother, Jesus has leverage. Hey, would you do me a favor? Because I did you a favor. <laughs> I healed your mother-in-law. So will you do me a favor? Let me, let me take your boat, right? So, so Peter's like, okay. So the favor is returned. Now, isn't it interesting how Jesus comes to people and, and Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's the Lord. He's God. He understands exactly what he's going to do. He doesn't come to Peter and say, hey, Peter, I'm the Lord. Give me your boat. He says, hey, Peter, I need some help. I need some help. Would you help me? Isn't that interesting, right? Uh, some of Jesus's most interesting encounters with people where he's about to disrupt their lives forever and, and change them from uh, people turned in on themselves or people who are discouraged or people who are outcasts like the woman at the well. What does Jesus say? Hey, would you give me some water? Would you help me, right? Isn't it interesting how, how this, this God of the universe, this one who is at, by the end of this story is going to rock Peter's world and change his whole way of his viewing himself comes very meekly, very gently and says, Hey, you know, you know who I am. You've seen me before. I need your help. Would you let me use your boat? So they put out. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about this. What, what is, and Jesus continues to teach. What, what's Peter doing while Jesus is doing this? Peter's in the boat with Jesus. You know that, right? Because listen, Jesus is a carpenter. What does he know about boats? If I had a boat, I'm not going to let you take it out. No. Forget that. That's my boat. And not only is it my boat, and you know, by the way, you know what the uh, uh, second happiest day of a boat owner's life is? Yeah, yeah, it's the day he sells his boat, right? The day he buys his boat, actually. Because, you know, boats are nothing but trouble. But what if you make your living with a boat? Jesus is coming and saying, give me, give me the thing that you use to make your living. Trust me with it. So Peter's going to go out there in the boat with him. And not only is he going to go out there in the boat, because, you know, if you go out there in the boat, you're pushed in, pushing out there a little a ways. If the wind blows or the current happens, pretty soon Jesus is going to be on the other side of the lake with your boat. So you need to get in the boat with him and make sure it stays where it is. Because he's a carpenter. He didn't know anything about boats. So the whole time, there he is probably messing with the oars, probably resetting the anchor, that kind of stuff to make sure that this gets done. And I'm sure the whole time Peter's sitting there just like me and you when we sit in church, like, when is this going to be over? Oh, oh. Do you notice I never, I never wear a watch? Uh, and the reason for that is I used to run experiments years ago when I would preach and I would wear a watch because... When I, I would look at my watch and just see what would happen, and all of y'all would look at your watches. 
and I, I knew exactly what was going on. Like, like yeah, well, I'm ready to get out of here too. So, all right. So Peter's up. Next slide, please, Scott. So, so Jesus gets done teaching. It's been great, you know, and he's done. So what do we expect him to do? What does Peter expect him to do? Well, Peter expects him to say, hey, Peter, thanks for the use of your boat. Row me back into the shore. I'll see you later. And then Peter can go home. But Jesus looks at him and says, hey, you know what? Put out into the deep water, drop your nets for a catch. <laughs> um, one of my pet peeves in life, one of my biggest pet peeves in life is for people who've never done my job to tell me how to do my job. One of the things that I I feel like I'm amazed now when I go to the dentist and the doctor that before I get out the door, my phone is dinging with a survey to tell them how they did. I don't know how they did. I've never drilled a tooth before. I don't know anything about that. Did he do a good job? I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. I'm no expert about that, right? I don't know anything about drilling teeth. I don't, I don't know anything about doctrine, right? I don't know anything about that at all. So how would I know? How could I tell you legitimately how you're doing? I could say, you know, quit looking at your computer when you're talking to me. Look me in the eye or something like that. I don't know. What, what else? Did you do a good job? I hope so. I don't know. But Jesus is at best a carpenter telling the fisherman how to do his job. Hey, if you go out here and drop the net, you know, you might, you might catch some fish. Well, first of all, it's daytime. And in the, this lake here, you never catch fish in the daytime. Secondly, the only places that they catch fish in this lake are the places over uh, uh, underground springs that are bubbling up into the lake that kind of change the, the makeup of the water and that kind of stuff. And Peter's been fishing this lake his whole life. His dad was, was, was more than likely a fisherman. From the day he could work, this is what he's done. He knows where all the fishing holes are. He fished all night. He didn't do any good. And now this carpenter who, you know, thinks, who's, I'm sure Peter thinks is full of himself, who had this crowd out there that he taught, is going to tell him now how to do his job. And so, you know, we read this, and the ESV makes Peter sound a lot better than he is because it's his teacher, because you said this, I'll do it. That word for teacher can be translated boss or chief. All right, chief. (laughs) I'll do it. All right, boss. We name our dogs chief and boss, right? 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 Yeah. All right, chief. Because you said that, I'll do it. So they roll out in the water a little bit. Drop down the nets, and wow, a multitude of fish. The only time Luke ever uses the word multitude, except for here, is to describe throngs of people coming to faith. It's a pretty profound, pretty profound thing there. So multitudes of fish, so many fish that it's breaking the nets and sinking the boat. So it is, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty profound thing. Now, 
what, what you have to understand about this is, so Peter has sat there this whole time. He's heard the teaching. He's been there with Jesus. And, and now he's thinking, wow, wow, if I could get this guy on my crew, I'll get rich. Because remember, this is what he does for a living. This is, this is, this is what he's about. And so, and, and one of the reasons why I know he's thinking as Jesus is there, at least initially, until it begins to dawn on him what's happening, why it is that this is such a lucrative and great change that is coming his way is he doesn't call to the Zebedees to say, hey guys, we got all these fish, bring your boat. You know why you don't do that? Because if you do that, the other fishermen who are there are going to say, okay, let's get out there and get their fishing spot. We'll be the ones that make the money. They signal. Hey, come here. Come on. Come on over here. We need some help. Right? Let's not draw too much attention to this. We have this business secret. We have this, we have this way to make money, this way to crush the competition. We've got this fish finder in the boat <laughs> who, who finds a lot of fish in a hurry. We're going to be rich. There is a God. This is awesome. Right? Next slide. Peter's hit the jackpot. I mean, this is like winning the lottery. Right? Especially after you've been fishing all night. You've got the anxiety, you know, the economic anxiety that we all carry around that any minute, you know, we're just, we're just one bad business decision, one bad financial decision away from ruin, right? We just think, oh, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? And, 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 and so he's like, I got this great guy here in the boat who's going to help me find fish. And then all of a sudden it begins to dawn on him. Wait a minute. I fished all night and didn't catch anything. You never catch fish here in the daytime. And now I've caught more fish in the last three minutes than I've caught ever in my entire life. What is happening? Who is this person? And we note what happens to Peter and the change that occurs to him because now Jesus is no longer chief or boss, but he's Lord. 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 Oh, whoever you are, whatever you are, you, you are, you are so different, powerful, holy. I, I, everything about me now is exposed, right? And one of the things that is profound about what Peter says is that he says he's, he's a sinful man. He wants Jesus to get away from him is the first time in Luke's gospel where Luke uses the word for sin or sinful. Peter's coming to grips with who he really is. He's coming to grips with what his life has been like and, and what he has been focused upon and, and, and what has really mattered to him, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus is coming and overturning everything for him. And so now, instead of beginning to see that maybe life is, is not just about you know, the things that we think life is about, but it actually might be about something more than that, that it might actually be about the author of life, that it actually might be about this one who, who is standing here in my boat, who, who has shown me this dramatic de demonstration of power. 
So what, what Jesus showed Peter is that he could make a lot of money in a hurry, but there is in God's economy something more important, and that is people with souls. And so what Jesus is saying to Peter when he comes to him and says, hey, when Peter, Peter confesses his sin, I'm, I'm undone, I'm unbroken, I'm disintegrated here. What, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, I will make you a fisher of men, right? What a, what a, what a crazy thing that's happening here. Now, one of the things that you, you may miss about this, and so in, in typical fashion, Luke says that, you know, they left everything and they followed him, right? Uh, that's not unlike when, when Luke describes uh, what's happening in the ministry of John the Baptist, where he says all of Judea and Jerusalem came out to hear John. Now, does that mean that every single person who lived in all of those places came to hear John the Baptist? It might, but at the very least, what it means is a lot of people came, right? it's important for you to see that when when Jesus calls Peter and tells him he's going to be a, make him a fisher of men, that Jesus does that even as he has given Peter his most successful day in business ever. Jesus is providing for Peter spiritually. Jesus is revealing to him who is the God, who's the one in charge, who's, who's the one who loves him, who's the one who's merciful and gracious and powerful. Jesus is revealing that to him but he's also supplying what Peter needs. Peter can't become a fisher of men if his family starves. And so that giant catch of fish is, 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 is one more way that Jesus is providing for Peter now to enable him to carry on the mission that he will have of catching men. You see, that's what Jesus is doing here. He provides richly for Peter. He gives him more than he could ever need. He gives him a lucrative, gracious, overabundant gift so that now Peter is free to pass that gift on, to do that work on Jesus' behalf in the world. Because here's one of the things that I've always thought is so profound about this, right? If Peter's in the boat with Jesus when Jesus is teaching, when Jesus is done teaching, has Peter been converted? No. All right, boss. All right, chief. Right? It takes Jesus doing this thing where he provides miraculously for him, for him to begin to see Jesus for who he is and to begin to see himself for who he is. Jesus Christ has magnificently provided for you by shedding his blood living your life, dying your death, and rising again. That's our hope, and that's our trust. And because that is true, that sets us free to be about the business of Jesus' mission in the world. Hear these words of institution, the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's confess our sins together. Holy Lord, you come to us 
but we do not recognize you. You call, but we are slow to follow. You command, but we negotiate instead of obey. You bless, but we have not thanked you. You love, but we have not loved you. You forgive, but we have not forgiven those who wrong us. You send, but we have given our all to our own mission. You serve, but we have avoided the poor and needy. You suffered, but we have sought a life separate from you. Forgive us our sin through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Christian, hear these words of encouragement. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his followers. Usually the way we look at our lives is we we look at the challenges or the things that are set against us, and then we look at our own resources and how we feel about how our resources stack up against the challenge before us will determine, you know, our level of anxiety or our level of comfort, right? One of the things that you have to see about what Jesus does here is he wants us to see uh, uh, when we are tired and discouraged and kind of at our wits end, the fact is that we have every spiritual resource in the world at our disposal. There's a God who loves us, who sees us, who enters into our world where we are, overturns our world, shows us who we are and who he is, and then turns us out uh, into his mission in the world. You and I so often settle for little things like a lucrative fish business when what Jesus is offering to us as he changes our lives uh, is a world-changing business, right? Typically, I just would settle for a day of peace, a day of ease, a day where things go well for a change. And what Jesus has for us is something so much richer. Not just that he meets our needs, but that he provides eternally what we need. The forgiveness of sins, righteousness, a hope, and a future. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you know that uh, when you're thinking in a sane way about life, that you know you have no other hope except through this one who loves us, 
who lived for us, who died for us, who rose again, and who is coming for us. You know that, that your hope is in him, and you've uh, professed that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you uh, today to be renewed and to be fed and to be nourished and to be reminded of uh, who it is with you uh, in your boat. As uh, the elders and deacons uh, come uh, and assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.